Great. Now, Rachel's already trailered this, so uh, I'll dive right in. About once a year, we take a break from our scheduled preaching series, Preaching Through the Bible, to, <laughs> uh, to give you an update about Kingdom Vineyard's finances, uh, to let you know how we are doing as a church community financially, and to talk a little bit about what we think God's attitude to money is as well. I've heard this uh, called by people Pie Chart Sunday, and I actually I quite like that name. We should get pies. I'd be well up for that. Pies in 2023. Done. Great. Uh, we actually we didn't have a giving and finance update last year in the midst of the season of digital church. So today you're sort of getting a two for one, a Pi one, get one free, if you will. That's great. That was about two-thirds boo, one-third nod of approval. That's a good ratio. The jokes don't get any better, I'm afraid. If you're a guest here today and you're thinking, really, I've turned up to the finance talk, I hope, I hope that the Lord will still have something for you in, uh, in what else we're going to share about God's heart towards it. But you're incredibly welcome. You really are. I, I actually quite like the openness that talking regularly about money and the church's finances gives us as a church. I like that as a church, those of you who are faithfully giving to God's work through Kingdom Vineyard get to hear about what happens with your financial gifts. And those who are new and maybe don't yet give, you get to see our attitude towards money and the values in how we use it to serve God in our wee corner of East Fife. So I think that's a good thing. And as I say, if you are new, you are so welcome here today. Jesse, on behalf of Kingdom Vineyards Trustees, no, that's not my finished already. Look at the hope in your face, brother. That was amazing. Is shortly, but not yet, uh, on behalf of the trustees, going to come up and tell us a little bit about the financial figures, present those to you. But before he does, I'm going to take a little while longer to share with you our view of money, our view of giving, and a little about where we're coming from on this. Let me start by talking a bit about the context that we find ourselves in. You might have spotted, we're living in a time of financial uncertainty. Brexit, the coronavirus pandemic, and now Russia's invasion of Ukraine have disrupted the global economy in such a way that rises in food, fuel, and energy prices are already making life difficult for many. So if the idea of a talk about money today makes you feel uncomfortable, then that is perfectly understandable. And even with that cost of living crisis, and in fact, especially with that, I think looking at what God says about money is crucially important for us. So I want to draw our attention, first of all, today to actually how we talk about money in our every week Sunday services. You'll notice, perhaps, that every week, the first thing that our worship leader says after we sing worship together is that we're going to continue our worship through the giving of our offering. We talk about it being a continuation of our worshiping God because that's what we honestly believe it is. And you may have also noticed, I hope so, that every week when it's time to give our offering, the service leader also invites anyone who is struggling financially who's concerned about their own situation, to get in touch with the church staff team, to reach out so that the church can help you. From connecting you up to the food bank that we run, to organizations that we work alongside who can help with clothing, with heating, to ourselves praying with you, and helping in any way we can, if you're in need, we want to make sure that you receive help. 
that the resources and the relationships that this church has can be a real help to you. So again, please do speak to a member of the church staff team if that's you. It's not an empty offer. And it's a deliberate decision that we say this every week whenever we talk about money. I think that's not a bad start, really, to talking about this church's attitude toward money. And I'm going to go into a little bit more detail. Firstly, I'm going to share about a few things that are not Kingdom Vineyard's approach to money. With apologies to those who heard me say things like this a couple of years ago, but they're still true. So, not our values, number one. We do not do talks on money to make anyone feel guilty or pressured to give. It's just not our heart. We do not want the sort of relationship with our church that has that pressure. And frankly, we don't want that sort of church income that's been prized out of someone. I don't want us to look at our church bank account and say, ah, good, we squeezed another 2% out of them. It's, it's just not the sort of church I want to be in. And I'm glad to say, that's not the sort of church you're in. <laughs> there were three really lovely yays, yeah, and some dancing. That's good. I want to be in a church that gives generously, cheerfully, not under compulsion, not under compulsion, which is, in fact, exactly what the Bible tells us to do. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, tells us, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So, pressuring you into giving is not the plan for our money sermons. Everyone may now sit back and breathe again. Not our values number two. We do not do talks on money because Kingdom Vineyard is in financial need. Friends, we're doing well, actually, at the moment. I'm excited for what we can grow and what we can do with the resources that God is blessing this church with. And though this has been a rocky couple of years for the economy, God has faithfully looked after this church. Our givers have faithfully given to his work through us, and thank you, again, those who do give to the work of God through this church. And though I'm not going to tread on the toes of Jesse's presentation of numbers, I'm pleased to tell you that ours is a story of seeing more opportunity for working to introduce God's kingdom in our area, not less. I also, before I go any further, want to take the moment to honor our church's trustees who have faithfully looked at the money that this church receives and spends, and then, trusting in God, have agreed to set budgets that rely on God meeting the need, filling a gap, providing the money for us that we don't see coming in in the natural yet, but we trust that God's going to do it. It is wonderful to see our trustees balance wisdom and careful consideration, and they do, with a real trust in a God who really provides. And not only have they shown trust in their decisions, but God has shown great trustworthiness. And again, more on that from Jesse. So the church is doing all right, friends. Next question, number three, not our value. We do not do talks on money because God is in financial need. You'll be pleased to hear. Honestly, he's loaded. There's someone who joins us here as we worship every week whose bank balance is absolutely bottomless, and he's really generous, and he loves being a part of this community. He's called Jesus, and I think you should go for coffee with him at some point. Get to know him better. It's great. He is so kind. He doesn't need a thing from us, but he does love it when we partner with him. Number four, not our heart. We do not give talks on money because we think it's important. Jesus thinks it's important. 
I gave a talk on giving uh, three years ago where I shared just fun fact after fun fact, which I won't bombard you with today. But the place that money has in Jesus' teaching is surprisingly significant. As a quick recap, there are 500 verses in the Bible relating to prayer, about 500 verses in the Bible relating to faith, 2,350 verses in the Bible relating to money and to possessions. So quite a lot then. And Jesus talks about money in 16 of his 38 parables. The issue of money, the question of our stuff, matters to God. So it's important that we teach on it too. And the final recap I want to make in the not our value section is this. I recognize that churches haven't always got this right. There is a reason why people are wary of churches talking about money. Not every preach has approached this topic with a good heart. Some have used the topic of money to beat people with a guilt stick. And not every church has had a good heart towards its finances. Some have seemed to be exactly the sort of grabbing, greedy, empire-building, money-focused people that they've told their congregations not to be. I mean, the way I'm saying it, you should hear it. That's just not our heart. Nor, thankfully, is it our story. We earnestly desire to serve God well in the area of finances and reflect him well, both to you, our church family, and to the world that watches on. And our own experience in this church is of sensible, gracious, and Jesus-honoring financial stewardship in the hands of our founding pastors, Toby and Carol, who served so faithfully, our long-serving administrator and trustee, Jesse, and our faithful board of trustees. Friends, we've been blessed by good and faithful servants. So, that was a point-by-point -point tour of what Kingdom Vineyard's heart about money is not. Let's look at what we think Jesus does have to say about the issue. Toby taught me when I was learning to preach to ask what God is saying through a passage at this time to this people. So I said, Lord, what are you wanting to say to Kingdom Vineyard at this time on the topic of money? What I heard the Lord say to me is, trust me. Trust me, I think the Lord says to us. So to be really clear, this talk and this topic isn't a church talk of you should all get your wallets out and support what this church is doing. That's not the point of my section here. This is a relationship with God talk of where does money fit into my view of God and my relationship with him. In the brief time I have left, I have three points for us. Number one, who is our master? Number two, God doesn't need us. And number three, we need good rhythms. Firstly then, who's our master? As awkward as the topic of money can be, this is only one part of the big challenge that God makes to all of us, where he says to us, will you give me everything that you are? Will you give me the life you lived before you knew me and let me put it to death? And will you allow me to lead you in your new life with me? God wants all of us, much more than just our money. 
which means that a money talk shouldn't be a focus on how much cash we need to give to a church. But this is a question for each of us and all of us about where is our heart between us and God? As Jesus put it, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think the things that we think of as our treasure, the things that we hold on to and prize and work towards, whether they are possessions we have, our bank account numbers, dreams that we have of owning possessions or a big bank account, dreams of certain jobs or status or even relationships or life situations, those things that we treasure, where we devote our hearts and our energy, where we, those things we treasure, there our heart will be also. I think it's particularly the case with money. In fact, as I've said, Jesus spoke about money a lot. So I want to read that bit of Matthew 6 in a bit more of its context. Jesus said, Don't store up treasures here on earth, where the moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, Maybe I might paraphrase and say, wherever the thing that we choose to prize, hold on to, work towards, devote our energies to, wherever our treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And um, the next two verses are fascinating, but I'll skip them just for now. Ask me about them later. Verse 24 says, would you mind going on one? Thank you, friend. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon, some translations. You cannot serve both God and be enslaved to money. In our talks going through the book of Daniel recently, we've talked a bit about idolatry, of things that draw our devotion away from the God who deserves it. Things in our lives that steal our worries or our worship from the relationship with God that he made us for and that is truly life-giving to us. Idols are other masters who threaten to take the place of God in our lives. And money is, I reckon, one of the biggest idols going. And like the other idols, money's not evil in itself. Money's just stuff. The famous Bible quote is not that money is the root of all evil. It actually says... People who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. It's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. And I'd also suggest the fear of money, of debt, enslaves people too. When money becomes a thing that we worship or worry about, it has become an idol. The problem is allowing money or any other idol to become our focus more than our relationship with God. To become our master instead of the God who loves us, instead of taking those worries or even our hopes to God and asking him to be Lord. That's when it's become damaging to us and to those around us. And there's a fascinating wee exchange that I'll only skip and summarize over in Mark chapter 10, where there's a rich young ruler who asks Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, well done, 
You're obeying the law. You're being faithful. This is great. And then says, now, give up everything you own. And the lad can't do it. He leaves sad. This guy's problem wasn't fulfilling God's law. He had that sorted. But he hadn't realized that his devotion was divided. He worshipped God, yes. But he also worshipped his stuff. So that was what Jesus homed in on. That was why he was challenged on it. And tragically, we're not told whether he could let his possessions die to gain Jesus' offer of life. You might be pleased to hear, selling all of our things and giving them to the poor isn't God's instruction to all of us. It's not the way for a relationship with God. But Jesus knew that the thing that this lad would hold on to instead of God was his money, his stuff. And that that was the particular thing that he needed to let die if he was going to receive God's life. But for any of us, whatever our idol is, whatever divides our devotion to God, he wants us to let it die so that he can be our one and only master and lead us lovingly into true life, the life that stuff can never give us. God didn't need this man's money, and God doesn't need your money, but he wants all of you. He wants everything. Point two, and they get shorter. God does not need your money to be involved in his work on earth. God does not need you to be involved in his work on earth in general. There's a great story in Pete Gregg's book, Dirty Glory, where someone prayed for God to provide, and God dropped cash into their laundry cupboard. God doesn't need us to fund his projects. What he orders, he can pay for. Just like, actually, he doesn't need us to tell other people about him. He can speak to people in their dreams to tell them that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus loves them. But he wants us to join in with him. He wants us to partner with him. God wants our stumbling, uncertain, sometimes still half-hearted efforts to serve him, to tell our colleagues or neighbors that there is a God who loves them, to put our hard-earned income towards his work on earth, and to see that we have helped to make something possible. We got to be part of his work. I think God's designed this to be a deeply fulfilling joy that is only possible when we trust him. So, what practically do I think we should do with our money? My third and final point, we need good rhythms. If we've allowed Jesus to take our old life and put it to death on his cross and give us a new life in him, then all that we are and all that we have is his. And the New Testament's picture of completely selfless living backs that up. I find the idea of this uncomfortable, but if God says, Jim, give your car to that person, if it's really God, I'd better do it. And I like having a car. It's nice. I get to go places. I get to be slightly less late for people than I would otherwise be. But if it was God, why would I hold that car back? What, what am I trusting in if I say no? If God is real and really loves me and has a good plan for me, and I think all those things are true, then all I am and all I have is his. It has to be. But in the normal day-to-day -day life where God isn't making that level of ask on me, 
mercifully. How do I get a good attitude towards money and how do I place myself in a good position to be devoted to God and not have that divided with money? I think that having an established rhythm, a practical habit that helps me to remember that all I have is his keeps me right. Just like setting a regular time to pray and read the Bible, having a practical rhythm of giving keeps my attitude toward money in right relationship with God. And that rhythm is tithing. Tithing is the model that God gave his people in the Old Testament to give the first 10% of everything that we produce to God. Oh, that was Old Testament, Jim. So didn't Jesus change this? Actually, he reaffirmed it. In a conversation where Jesus was calling out the hypocrisy of religious people who tithed to God but didn't show his love to those in need, Jesus instructed them, you should have done the latter without neglecting the former. I think that the good habit of giving our first 10% to God is a practical rhythm that supports the powerful reality that everything I have is his. It's a statement of, God, you are master of all of me. It's a statement of, God, I will put my hand in yours and partner with you and your work. And I think it helps to protect me from allowing money to become an idol that takes God's place in my life. So, I have finished. Those are my short reflections on God's attitude to money. I believe that God's word to us as his people, especially in the midst of financially uncertain times, is that he wants us to trust him with all of us, to let him be our only master. That's about much more than money, but I believe God wants to give us good perspective there too. I believe he wants us to partner with us, that we share his vision and work, and I believe that establishing good practices and giving helps us to keep our money from becoming our master and that our devotions undivided. And as I step sideways, I'll say one last time as I hand over the microphone that anyone who's struggling financially, I believe God's heart for you is that you experience his loving closeness with you in this time and that you feel the support of his people, your local church. And we'll show you his love however we can.